We celebrate influencers and names, but what would a collective impact model look like? When we all realize the potential inside of us and say, I'm not just looking for an influencer, I am an influencer. I am a person and I can change things. I can pray, I can shift things. Welcome to the Resurgence Messages Podcast. We gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people, reviving churches, and releasing leaders. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of Resurgence and how you can take part, check out liveforsurgence.com. I sense faith in the room tonight, and I don't know where we're going to go in this message, but I feel such expectancy in my heart. I want to preach that anything is possible, that his presence is in this place. So if you're new tonight, if you're, if you're just joining us, I don't know if you've ever not been to a resurgence, but there's something that's going to shift tonight in our understanding. And, and I feel like to go after a tension, a tension moment that we all go through in life tonight. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 12. It's a passage I've never preached before, but I felt the Lord lay it on my heart. I actually was like, that really happened? Did I read that before? I've read it, but I I just kind of missed this story. And the thought I have for you tonight is sleeping and knocking. Sleeping and knocking. It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Then he saw, when he saw this, had met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads. Everybody say four squads. Four squads. Of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring out for the public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. He said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Don't go around naked. And Peter did so. (laughs) Wrap your cloak too, because you don't have enough clothes on. And follow me. Don't pass the worship test. (laughs) The angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison But he had no idea what the angel was doing and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first guards, the second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where there were many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda, her name also means Rose, came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. 
You're out of your mind, they told her. When she had kept insisting that this was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when he had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought them out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had thoroughly search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered they be executed. Let me talk the context of the story. We have Jesus left. Peter is called the rock. He's called to build a church. He's called to um, build this church that is living, that is breathing. Acts 2 is in a state of revival. There is a move of God happening. They're in revival. There are signs, wonders, miracles happening. The church is expanding. It is tremendous. The Gentiles are being reached. This is all going on. And, and all of a sudden, they, they get, Herod does not like this. The Jews don't like this. And so Herod takes James, kills James. What happens is his poll numbers go through the roof. And he's like, this is good news for my kingdom. This is good news for my reign. If I could take more of their leaders out, my poll numbers will, will skyrocket and the people will love me. So let's just, let's seize the rock. Let's take out the pillar. Like what's a way to end the move of God? Take out the leader. And so what they do is they arrest Peter. They put him in jail. In a side note, I think there's never been such attack on leaders right now pastors. I've never seen such an attack on leaders in the kingdom. You need to pray for your leader. You need to pray for your pastor. We, we need to be people of pray to prayer, people of pray to prayer for our leaders. There, there is attack. And so here Herod, you know, this Herod was actually the grandson of the Herod that um, was, did the census to get everyone to and under and kill all the babies when Jesus was born. This is the grandson Herod. So this, this, this guy was all about himself. He was, about, he was consumed by power, self-image. He was about preserving his kingdom and his rule. And actually, fast forward, after this story, he dies. After this exact incident, he dies because people were telling him he is God. And he's like, yeah, I am God. And God strikes him dead and he dies because he took the glory away from God. This is, this is the guy. And so this is the context that's happening. And Peter gets arrested. So we have Peter getting arrested. Peter's put in jail. But then we have a split screen going on. We have a church that's praying. We have a church that's earnestly seeking God for the, the release of Peter. We have, we have two things happening at once. Peter's in jail. He cannot see what's happening in the church. The church is over here praying, but they don't know what's happening in the jail. And it's all happening at the same time. And they're praying, and they're praying, and Peter's in jail. See, the prayer people didn't know what was happening to their prayers. Sometimes when we pray, we don't know what's happening in the other room. We don't know what shift is happening because of our prayers. So they didn't know what was going on. In the jail, it's maximum security, four squads, or four squads of four soldiers. I mean, this is maximum confinement. He has two chains, and he's between two probably massive dudes. I'm guessing they're not small. And um, the Bible says that he was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, with guys guarding. And um, the reason why I'm preaching this message tonight 
1923, a guy named C.S. Price came to Edmonton. C.S. Price was a faith uh, preacher. Uh, one of the greatest books on faith is by C.S. Price. He came in 1923 to Edmonton, 12,000 gathered at night, and people broke the windows just to get in because they were so hungry to be in the room. C.S. Price had a ministry, and he had a newsletter that he would send out called The Golden Grain. It was an email blast. It was an actual thing from Pasadena, California. And a guy that I met in the States sent me his newsletters. And three weeks ago, I got all these newsletters on my desk. Uh, Pasadena, California, 1941, The Golden Grain. And on the front of it was this thing that says, While Peter Slept. I'm like, While Peter Slept? Where's that from in Scripture? And I, like, I honestly was like, Okay, Peter slept. When did he sleep? When was he sleeping? Was he sleeping in the garden? Like, I had to think about it. And I put it down. I looked at it quickly. But for the last three weeks, I could not get this book out of my mind, out of my thoughts. And as I prayed this week, and I'm like, God, what am I supposed to share? While Peter slept. That's all I could think about. While Peter slept. While Peter slept. And so I know that God has a word for us tonight in this. See, Peter was sleeping. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's a night before his execution. He's going to die. It happened to James. It's the night before his execution, and yet he's between two soldiers with chains. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, did he say, hey, guys, how's it going? Well, good night. Could you tuck me in, by the way? Could you pull my blanket up before I go to sleep? Like, this is the night, this is his last night. And he's going to sleep between two guys in a prison cell. And um, I can't sleep sometimes on my best days. I'm thinking this is the worst day of his life. I don't know what could be a worser day. Maybe when he denied Jesus three times, maybe that was pretty up there. But here he's going to die tomorrow and he's able to sleep. That is a miracle. How could he sleep in the midst of what was going on all around him? And um, I think we discover this. It's possible to rest and sleep in your darkest moment. It's possible to rest and sleep. See, Peter knows James was just killed. He carries the weight of leadership. Jesus gave him this burden of leadership. He was to the rock that he's going to build the church on. And yet, I just wonder the thoughts going through his mind. Did I blow it? Did I do this wrong, Jesus? How is this thing that I'm carrying right now going to sustain? Did I empower the right leaders? Did I make the right decisions? And now it's all over. James is gone. I might die tomorrow. Like, I imagine anxiety, the worry the fear, the stress, the legacy of Jesus. Was he letting Jesus down? All of Jesus' ministry, then he, was he letting, like all of that. And what's his response? Sleep. Snore really well <laughs> between two soldiers before his execution. It's a miracle of the story that Peter gets out of jail, but I think it's a greater miracle that he can sleep in the jail. He can sleep in the jail. Maybe this doesn't happen to you, but on occasion when I go to bed sometimes, I start to worry. I worry about finances. I worry about inflation. I worry about... Ukraine. I worry about, name it, something going on in family situation. I worry about resurgence. God, how are you doing everything we're doing? I worry about Donovan. I worry about our team. I worry, like, name it. I worry about things. 
I worry about my wife in a residency program. Is she working too hard? I, I, I worry about family members that I'm praying for and thinking about. And there's this worry. And um, I toss and I turn. Uh, oh, is that a sore throat I have? Am I sick again? Go take some vitamin C. I know you guys don't do that. But I worry. And sometimes Jess just goes, go to bed already. One time she just took the pillow and hit me with the pillow. You're keeping me awake with all your worries. I'm like, Jess, I'm worried about this. Go to bed. I know it's just me, not you. But I think Peter reminds us, no matter what the trial, no matter what the circumstance, you can sleep. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Peter would have heard that firsthand. And I don't know if that's why he was all good to just sleep. Don't worry about tomorrow. Maybe Peter just prayed and he gave everything to God and he said, good night to the guards. I don't need to worry because God has it. There was, there was a trust. He was with Jesus when Jesus slept in a boat in the middle of the storm. There was something that Jesus had modeled and now he was stepping into. This ability to rest in a trial, to rest in the storm. While Peter slept, God was at work. While Peter slept, God was at work. While Peter slept, people were praying. I, I don't know if the angels were oiling the hinges of that gate. I don't know if they was putting melatonin into the soldiers so that they would sleep. I don't know what was happening, but something was happening because people were praying and Peter was sleeping. More happened while he was sleeping than maybe if he would have UFC'd it and WWE'd it and just like, I'm going to like fight this thing and get out of here. Something was going on. And I felt as I prayed for tonight, there's some in this room, you're struggling with sleep. Actual, you just, you have insomnia, you can't sleep. I, I want to declare this over you, Proverbs 3.24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Your sleep will be sweet. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Exodus 33.14, return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Psalm 116.7. I want, can we declare this? Can you declare this over your soul tonight? Repeat this after me. Return to your rest, to your rest. My, soul, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. I believe someone in this place, you'll go home and you'll sleep well tonight. I just, I felt there's attack on sleep. There's attack on rest. Sometimes the best remedy for what's going on is to sleep. Because sometimes sleep talks and sleep thinks or tiredness thinks, I mean, tiredness talks. You ever have that? And it's like, you just go to bed and the next day you woke up and it's way better. It's just, you just need sleep. You're just tired. See, where did this ability to rest come from? And I want to go beneath the surface a little bit because Peter is the same disciple that pulled the sword and attacked the soldier, isn't he? He's the same one that's impulsive. He's the same one that's like, oh, I'll defend you, Jesus. And Jesus healed the guy and said, no, no, we model a different way. He, he wanted to battle. And yet he didn't battle. He didn't WWE it in this case. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have, let's rumble, soldiers. Let's get this on right now. He didn't pick the lock. He didn't try to get out of it. He, he didn't do anything like that. He just went to sleep. Can I suggest something changed in the trajectory of his, of his life? 
There was a heart healing. There was a maturity in Peter that we see here that we did not see before in Scripture. He had a history with God. He had a maturity with God. And there's something we go, we want what something has, but if we don't understand the history that someone has to get there, we can get an impartation and a prayer and some kind of thing, but there's a history that it took for Peter to get there. And I, I think we, we don't look at Peter's history. He had denied Christ. He was called. He, was, he, he made mistakes. He, he was there and he preached in, in Acts 2. I mean, all of the story with Peter, we don't see all of that. But it was a strengthening that was happening in his innermost being. We ask for revival, and sometimes we think revival means go higher. I, I want to suggest to you that revival means go deeper into your heart. He wants to heal us and strengthen us in our innermost being, Ephesians 3.18 says. There's something in our innermost being. That's what revival looks like, being strengthened in your soul, being strengthened in innermost being. And in this story, we see Peter has been strengthened. There's a strength there that's not on his own impulse. There's a strength that's deep in him. Sometimes we're so eager to battle, to fight, to pick up the sword and attack that we miss the opportunity to rest. He has the whole world in his hands, doesn't he? Do we trust him? It's a question of trust, isn't it? I think battle theology, if we aren't careful, comes out of place of not trusting. It comes out of a wounded heart rather than a rested identity. When the battle is my cause, Jesus becomes second to my cause. I need to battle that. I need to, I need to conquer that. I need to do all this stuff. Jesus can become sexy. Jesus is the cause. Jesus is the plumb line. Jesus is the main thing. That's it, period. Our cause cannot take over the, the thing. It's got to be Jesus Jesus came. He didn't come with rocket launchers on a nuclear camel. He came as a baby. He came in the most humble way. He came vulnerable into this world. Our goal is not to take our cities for God. They're already his. Edmonton is his. Edmonton is his. Canada is his. Uh, we don't have to battle and, and froth at the mouth and lather up all the soap and go, oh, we got to get there. There's a resting that comes when we understand who he is. There's a security that comes when we understand who our God is and we can step into that. See, our goal is not to climb some mountain to rule over culture. He is the Lord of the harvest. He, we, he, he, it's all his. See, we're the foot washing people. We're not, we're not the attack people. We change culture by washing the feet of broken cities. We change uh, principalities and darkness by bowing down, not saying, oh, serve us. No, how can we serve you? Because that's how Jesus came into the world. There's something happens in a rested identity, a secure one that can never happen with a battle posture. Jesus didn't need anyone to prove his power. He's secure. And in the same way, the miracle that Peter can sleep reveals something. That sleeping, sleeping, resting doesn't mean we're lazy. That doesn't mean that. But there was a posture of his heart that he could rest in this moment. It was a deep trust, wasn't it? Peter had encountered Jesus. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. See, trust is a stayed mind and it results in 
perfect peace. Trust is a stayed mind and it results in perfect peace. When we trust him, there's peace. See, the peace of God is different from the peace of the world. Biblical peace is more than just absence of conflict. It's taking action to restore a broken situation. It's more than just a state of, of inner tranquility. It's wholeness. It's completeness. It's, that's what biblical peace is. It's not something we can create on our own. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It's from God that peace can come. God is a source of peace. Actually, in Judges 6.24, we see uh, Jehovah Shalom means the Lord is peace. God doesn't give peace. He is peace. That's who he is. That's his identity. That's his DNA. God is peace. And so when we understand that Jesus is a prince of peace, when we understand who he is, it changes it. And there's a time to say, "I I know I can't do anything on my own. I must leave it all with Jesus. And that's what happens with Peter. He, he just probably says, God, I don't know what to do, but I leave it with you. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. I don't have my CPAP machine, but I'm going to sleep or whatever. I don't know. I don't have my earplugs. That soldier's kind of stinky, but I'm going to sleep. See, studies show that sleep and rest is just as important as movement. Heart immunity, all these things in us, social interactions, it has a big impact on, on, our, on our well-being. The ability to rest, the ability to slept, sleep slept. See, resting and worrying are both verbs, both actions. Worrying is birthed in being in control and trying to find something to grasp onto, isn't it? But rest is birthed in surrender and knowing we can't control it but he can. There's a difference. And while Peter slept, miracles were happening. The other other thing in this story I see is prayer is a movement that shifts the prisons that hold us. Prayer is a movement that shifts the prisons that hold us. At the same time that Peter was in jail, the church was earnestly praying for him. It happens simultaneously. Matthew 7, 7, 8 says, Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives and who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. See, asking, seeking, it's a movement. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's a movement. It's, it's intentional. We knock on a door that we want access to. Hey, let me in. I want to come in. We learn that Peter's sleeping. People are praying. Things are shifting. He can't see it. They can't see him. But something is happening when prayer, see, prayer sets prisoners free. Prayer sets principalities of darkness and breaks chains of freedom. Prayer shifts things and principalities and darkness. See, prayer is talking to God. And his community was praying for him. They were contending. They were watchmen on the wall saying, hey, you might be in jail, but we're believing and praying for your breakthrough. We're believing that, that the, the, the call of God over you is not going to end today, that it won't end as James did, but we know that God can do all things together for those that love him. We believe that nothing is impossible with God. And there's something that in communing with God that they were seeing a breakthrough happen in the prison cell. They were knocking. See, God is a good shepherd and knows our voice. There has to be a rise in our prayer life. God's calling for a rise in our prayer life. 
When we're in the noise, we can't be the voice. I need to know the heart of the Father to bring the kingdom everywhere. Brother Lawrence said this. He said, you know you are anointed when you sense him while you're doing the dishes. God's anointing comes on you in the ordinary things. I think that's Jess's favorite, my wife's favorite quote, when I don't empty the dishwasher. <laughs> it's like, you're anointed to empty the dishwasher and fill it. See, we ask God for revival, but we spend 15 to 30 minutes, maybe once a month, praying. Do we really want God to move? Where is our conversation with the Lord? Where are, where are we spending our time? As a movement of resurgence, would you pray? We need your prayers. We need your prayers as we go places. This month, Donovan's going places. I'm going places this year. We need prayer covering. We need your help. As a movement, our foundation has always been prayer, and we're rebuilding prayer in this season. And so if you would say, hey, I need to pray. I need to pray for resurgence. Email us. We'll, we'll connect you. We want to start kind of a prayer chain. I don't know what that looks like, but there's something important about prayer. Wherever you go to church, please pray for your leader. Pray for your pastors. If you go to Summit, pray for TJ and Chris and Nikki. Wherever you go, pray. It's time, it's time to raise the level of prayer. And we also discover in the story the need for community. There's a need for community that we see in the story. The 20th century was the rise of the individual. We saw that in ministry. We saw Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonnke, these amazing men of God who saw millions. I think Reinhard said saw 79 million people in the, in the continent of Africa come to Jesus. We saw amazing individual efforts. But when we were in one of these rooms in Bogota, they were talking about eagles, and the eagles would fly by themselves. And there starts to be this moment where we go, what if the eagles start to fly together? What if there was a collaboration? I believe in the 21st century, we are seeing the world engage in collaboration. There's the move of globalization. There's the move of partnership. There's the move of natural collective economy. There's these things where how do you fly together as eagles? How do you fly? Could you do more together than you could separately? John 17 talks about this. That until there is unity, we can't fully understand Jesus. See, God works in community. He places individuals in community. Here's what I found is that... Um, the breakthrough, the thing that I need in God, sometimes I look for it on the stage and I'm like, if that pastor would give me a word, if that, if that person would pray for me. Here's, here's, here's the thing that I've learned is that some of the greatest breakthroughs and the greatest words and the greatest encouragement moments have not been from someone on the stage, but they've been from someone that I was vulnerable enough next to me. There was someone that I met in the pew next to me. There was someone that was in my small group. There was someone around me that brought the greatest breakthrough in my life. And the very answer that we're praying for might be sitting right next to you, behind you, around you, the very wisdom that you're looking for right now, the very thing that you're going, oh, I need that, I need, I need to know the wisdom on that. They might be sitting right next to you, or around you, or across the room. God puts us in community for a reason. We need each other. We need relationship. We need friendship. We need people that, that when we're in prison are gonna pray for us. Because we all can be in prison, can't we? 
It's a prison of addiction. It's a prison of depression. It's a prison of sickness. It's a prison of, 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 of hopelessness. And we need someone to go, while Karis is in prison, we're praying for you. While you're in prison and you feel chains, we're believing and breaking them off in Jesus' name. Well, while Donovan's going through it, we're praying and we're believing. There's somebody around. Some of the most powerful moments have been text messages that I've got. Two in the morning where someone says, hey, I'm praying for you. I have a word for you. I have something for you. And it's just like, oh, God, you see me. You're speaking to me. There's something that happens in those moments. We celebrate influencers and names, but what would a collective impact model look like when we all realize the potential inside of us and say, I'm not just looking for an influencer. I am an influencer. I am a person and I can change things. I can pray. I can shift things. See, we, we have event Christianity. We have, we, have, we have conferences and events and all these things, but when God birthed us in 2008, he said it's not about an event. It's not about a Saturday night resurgence. It's about a lifestyle of resurgence. How do you live every day at 6 a.m. when the alarm goes off? How, how, do, you, how do you walk this thing out when, it, when, it's, when you're all by yourself? If the change that happens tonight does not affect Monday, then what's the point? If, if we're, not, we're not shifting principalities and darkness all week long, then are we just having a good hangout? I think we could do other things on a Saturday night if that's what we're doing. But there's something that happens in a room that can shift our weeks and our months and our years. It's not about an event. It's about a family. God, revival looks like family. And he's growing a family in this season. And you have Peter sleeping. You have the church praying. Both is happening and God is moving in both of them. Right now, we have a silo mentality versus a kingdom mentality happening where we can, have, we can have great churches and great things, but it's like, oh, well, we, we have this and we have the special sauce and we have this and everybody's kind of trying to build their thing. What would happen if we build the church? What would happen if we take, take all the banners off? See, resurgence is his. It's not ours. It's not something. We just steward it. We're just part of it. The church you go to is his. There's something where collectively churches are going to come together. I prophesy and call it forth. There is a unity that is needed to be kingdom-minded. Not silo building, but kingdom-minded. The local church is essential. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Hear me. We need to be in a local church but could we build something even bigger than the local church? There's a vision that's bigger than the local house. It's, it's the house of the Lord. See, family isn't individualistic. Revival looks like community. It's not an event. It's not a conference. It's, something, it's not something saying we are revival. It's, it's a deep thing in our heart. It's a posture. I love the picture of Peter in one place in the church praying. We discover also it's God who opens the door. Peter just slept. While Peter slept, God moved. The angel wakes him up and quietly says, get up. So he did. Someone in this place, I feel like God's saying tonight, get up. See, Peter actually had to get up. The chains are still on him. You need to get up. Well, God, I, why did I get up, the angel? Why did I get up? The chains are still on me. What am I going to do? All the like the, the sound of those chains would be loud. But there was a faith he had to exercise to get up. And as soon as he got up, the chains fell off. And I feel like someone in this place is depression or there's a cloud and God's saying, get up. Get up out of that and the chains will fall off you. 
change your posture and the chains will fall off. And there's something that happens. And so he stood up, the chains fell off. There's a moment we need to rise, arise. And then the angel takes him past the soldiers and then he gets to the gate and the prison door opened by itself. Um, it was this big, massive prison gate. And it just goes, the first garage door. I mean, <laughs> 2,000 years ago, the garage door was invented. It was automatic. It was like a motion sensor. Just opened up. He's like still thinking he's dreaming. He walks out of this thing. And, um, you know, sometimes in our effort to dream and do what's in our heart, we want it now, don't we? The things God's spoken to me, the dreams over the years, I want it now. I don't have patience. I don't want to wait. I want it now. I want that door to open now. And we can strive and we can push and we can try to break the chains ourselves and we can try to do it on our own. But here's what I found. When we let God do it, it's incredible. I was going to speak to some leaders in the fall and I was so nervous I was like, Jess, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't have the word of the Lord. I don't know what to do. I, I, I prepared sermons for three weeks. I'm stressing and I'm going to these pastor's conferences. I've never preached at a pastor's conference. 300 pastors in one, 300 another. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to share. And what am I supposed to share to these pastors? And, I, and one night in my worrying, I couldn't sleep. And so I said, I don't know if I have anything to share. And she said this to me, you didn't open this door. God did. So God has a word for you. See, when we go through doors that God opens, he has the rest of the story. If I force the door, then I have to have the energy and the strength to kind of make it all happen beyond that. It's not just the door I need to open, slam it open. I have to sustain everything else after that. He didn't have to fight off guards coming after him because he forced himself out of the door. Because God opened the door, there was no problem. He just walked right out. But if he would have done it on his own, there would have been squads upon squads upon squads. It would have been a, a, a missing man. There would have been the chopper flying around going, there is a guy on the run. There's a prisoner that's been free. How do we, you know, how do we get this guy? But God did it. And he just walked right out. And I feel for some in this room, you're in between this tension of, I have a dream, but how do I get there? Listen, I feel like God's saying, be patient. I, I watch over my word to perform it. Just be patient. God opened the door, but he had to go through it and he had to get up. 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says, I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened for me of the Lord. See, he realized the door was open after he went there. Sometimes the doors open after we actually make a step. About a year ago to the actual day, Jess and I had this opportunity to move to Yakima, Washington. We moved, we had to make the decision within a week. I was freaking out, we were freaking out. It was a huge thing. Here's the thing, we had to move to figure out what God was doing. Last week I preached, or two weeks ago, at Yakima Alliance Church in Yakima and God moved. And I felt like God's doing something. He's brought us here for a reason. There's something going on besides the program she's in, besides all of this, God is moving. Sometimes we have to move and go through the door and get up before we know what it's all about. Also, we don't, un don't be surprised when God answers your prayers. 
Think of the context here. Praying people in Mary's home. They just seen Jesus leave. They saw James be killed. They, they, they're disappointed. This is a huge hit to the movement. It seems over, like their leaders are getting taken out and they're in this room, they're praying. The rock got taken out. And here's this tension tonight in our faith. Because I shared on one moment we should sleep and on the other moment we should knock. So what are we supposed to do? And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that tension? Maybe it's just me. But I feel like you go to church and the guy's like, sleep, sleep, rest, know your identity, be secure, all this stuff. And then another point, he's like, pray the prayer of faith and, and, and you need to persevere and you need to have faith and you need to, right? And you're like, so one moment you're resting and the next moment you're anxious, and the next moment you're resting and, and you're just like, what am I supposed to do in this season? Is that, just, is that just me? Maybe it's just me. No, Jeremy too. Um, when I was probably 22, 23, I said, God, I, I want to be married. It took me probably 16 years for that to come to pass. And so I, I share that to go, there were seasons, and I recorded a voice memo of it because I said, God, I never want to forget what I feel right now. But there are no words sometimes when you're waiting for your dream to happen and it doesn't happen. There's a struggle. There's a, no words. There's a frustration. There's this moment. I listened to it the other day because I did not want to forget what that season was like. And sometimes there were seasons where I would be excited and, and going, okay. But there was other seasons where I was, I, was, I was praying and praying and praying. And then there was other seasons where I was resting. And it was this cycle. But at times there was groans. There was words that I could not even express. to going, God, where are you in this? I don't know if I did something wrong. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. What did I do wrong? How do I get here? This tension. And I think what I discovered is it's rooted in trust. Whether we're sleeping, whether we're resting, or whether we're knocking. Knock, 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 God, I ask you, I ask you in your name, in Jesus' name, I ask you in your name. I'm knocking on the door and you're not answering. It's trust. Do I trust him? He's a good father. He's got my best interests in mind. He's a good father. If prayers were always answered the moment we pray, where would the opportunity for trust be? It's like dropping a penny into the slot machine, out comes candy. <laughs> Drop a prayer into God and go, where's the blessing? Didn't work. Do it again. See, when we don't see prayers answered, we go to the reality, I must be doing something wrong. Why do we do that? Because we live in a performance culture. We, what we do, we're human doings. So what we do, it's like, oh, I did something wrong. Oh, it's my fault. What did I do wrong? Oh, I've got sin. I've got this. And, and maybe there's some things that we need to change, but sometimes it's just the timing of the Lord. Rather than saying, what, what's wrong? We say, God, what are you actually doing in this season? There's a posture of trust. Do I trust him? And he's saying, do you trust me? See, it's easier to think I'm doing something wrong than trust him. And if we view God transactionally, our relationship looks like a vending machine. God, I put two prayers in and no chips came out. I'm knocking on the machine and the chips aren't, it's not working. 
So I, I don't know about you, but I've had friends that have quit the faith because of this. God hasn't shown up because they, 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 they haven't got the results they wanted. Instead of wait and be patient and trust the Lord that he knows the timing that is happening. He knows what's go- going on. Then we believe the lie that we're not enough and it snowballs into defeat and it snowballs into all these things. And then we're, you know, has God done anything? See, if I'm doing something wrong, then I can fix it. And then we go into this whole, I gotta fix it. I I gotta figure it out. I gotta do it. Guys like to fix. (laughs) It doesn't go well in relationships. Girls just want us to listen. I like to fix. See, we're good at asking God for what we need, but do we ask God, what are you doing in this season? And how can I trust you in this season? How do I trust you? It's trust. There's a praying, there's a knocking on heaven's door for Peter to show up. And at that very door, they were yet very surprised because Peter starts knocking at the door. He shows up at the door. It couldn't be him because it didn't come how we thought it would come. I'm not sure if they thought that the next day when the sword was going to come, the sword would be rubber and it would just bend. I didn't know what they were praying or thinking in their mind. But when Peter knocked at the door, no, it can't be him. He's in prison. Well, what are you praying for? (laughs) And I know that's dumb to say, but sometimes the answer is knocking at the door and we just need to open the door. Sometimes it's right in front of us. It's like that whole saying, you know, I, God, the guy gets to heaven and the guy says, well, you were drowning. God, why didn't you save me? He goes, well, I sent the helicopter and I sent the boat and I sent that person, but you never grabbed on. I always think of that story because God works in community. There's stuff happening. They're, Peter's knocking at the door. Knock, knock. Who's there? Peter. No, it can't be. You're in prison. No, no, I'm really at the door. Okay, I'll go tell the others. Uh, could you let me in? Stop interrupting our prayer meeting. We're having a prayer meeting for this guy, Peter. It's getting really anointed right now. There's a really good worship sesh going on. And you're, annoy- you're annoying me. Why are you knocking at the door right now? See, don't be surprised when the answer walks right up to you. There's room tonight in this place to believe in faith. See, there's a difference between faith and, 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 and trust and in believing. See, that you can pray and not believe. You can pray and not believe. Hebrews said 11.6, when without faith it's impossible to please him, for he comes to God, must believe that he is, and then he is a rewarder of those that seek him. Just because you pray doesn't mean you believe. And, and there's something where our belief, are we believing? It's not just religious principles and praying. You know, even Mark 6, they couldn't do any miracles. Jesus couldn't do miracles because there was a lot of unbelief. Yeah. Can I ask the worship team, could you guys come? See, there's sleeping and there's rest, there's trust. It's all birthed in trust. A lot of prayers were answered while Peter slept. Rest will allow him to break the chains. Obedience will bring freedom. There's a new season coming upon us tonight. Knock, knock. Will you open what God's doing? Knock, knock. There's new dreams in this place tonight. 
Will you allow him to birth some new dreams in you tonight? Knock, knock, there's, there's breakthrough from the prisons that we're facing tonight in this place. There is a faith to believe for the impossible in here tonight. Do you believe that? That there is something happening in this place tonight. What prison is holding you back? What confines in this season have chains that are holding you? What is the thing that you're feeling? Maybe it's a mindset, maybe it's a lie, maybe it's something in your heart. And I just sense tonight as I prepared, I've come to tap on the cages and say there's gold inside of you, there's hope inside of you, there's freedom from the prison that you're in tonight. There's dreams to come out, there's things that God wants to move you into, and it's this tension between sleeping and knocking. See, there's two purposes. There's God's purpose and there's enemy's purpose. What was happening in the story, Peter could say, why am I in jail? Why is this setback happening? The people praying, they could be in that house going, why did this happen? We've done everything right, and yet Peter's in jail. James is killed. Here's what God was doing that they couldn't see. Peter gets out of jail. Because of that, the guards then get killed. And just a few verses later, Herod dies because he had ego and a pride and God killed him right there. And there was something that happened so the church moved forward in a huge amount. So it seemed like a setback, but it was a setup for what God was gonna do. And it may have been a hard season and it may go, why did that all have to happen? But see, sometimes we don't see the full picture. God sees in 8K. We see in 640 by 480. We see the little thing and God sees the big picture. And he's saying, I see the big picture. Our friend tonight brought a trumpet. I've never seen a trumpet in a worship service in the crowd. And I just honor you for the trumpet because I believe God is declaring a trumpet. We've had words over resurgence about sound a trumpet in Tekoya. And there's a prophetic call about a trumpet. Eve sent me a message tonight in worship. There's something about the trumpet. God is declaring there, there, is, there is something happening. I played the trumpet as a kid. At Christmas, I pulled out my trumpet. My mom can testify. I still got it. Three notes. But there is a season that God wants to declare and he wants to blow the trumpet of his promises over every single one of us tonight. He wants to, he wants to break through. See, Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Here I stand. If anyone hears my voice and opens the doors, I will come in. I will eat with that person and they with me. Tonight, there's freedom from the prisons that we're in. If you sense in this place, can we just close our eyes in this place and bow our heads? If you sense in this place that you're in a prison in this season, you feel confined, you have chains, you have things that are, that are confining and holding it, and it just seems like it's just a prison. Maybe it's a prison of darkness. Maybe it's a prison of hopelessness. It's a prison of addiction. It's a prison of just, it's just you feel confined. God wants to set you free. And if that's you, I just want you to stand in this place and we're just gonna pray and we're just gonna break off every chain and every bondage and everything that would pull you back. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Worry, anxiety, depression is dropping in this place tonight. 
individualism rooted in hurt and a lack of trust. So Father, right now, I pray for every single one standing in this place. I thank you that you see them and you know them and you love them. And I just declare a breakthrough right now. I break every chain, every attack of the enemy. We just take every thought captive in the name by the blood of Jesus. I declare freedom. I declare freedom from pornography, freedom from oppression, freedom from lust, freedom from greed, freedom from the cloud and darkness, anxiety, fear about the future, or worry. We break worry off right now. Now we break this heaviness and, and we just speak a fresh victory in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope that you were blessed. For more information about Resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www.liveresurgence.com.